You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. That's just beautiful. That's the uh, first time I've actually seen that as well, and that's uh, a lot to take in. And I just love so much about what Mercedes is sharing there. And uh, in some ways, we could maybe just say amen and uh, let's close it. But there's a f- few things, hopefully, I think will be helpful as we wrap up this series. Um, so welcome, church family. Uh, for those of you who are joining you who don't know who I am, my name is Richard, and welcome to our online church service. Um, as been said, we're in part three, the final chapter of our three-part series uh, called My Story. And so in some ways, this is the final part of one message. And so um, if you're just jumping in today, I really encourage you to go back and Bert and Sheila have done a great job and covered a lot of ground. that I may reference that may um, not make total sense to you if you haven't caught up those, but hopefully um, we'll be able to track some with this message. And so uh, we're going to be talking about how we get to rewrite our stories as um, as God's grace penetrates our hearts, His truth penetrates our lives. We're able to change the narratives, particularly the broken narratives that sometimes we are just stuck with in, uh, in our lives. And so um, how to set this up is what we've been looking at at is basically this, is how your past, my past, our past has profoundly shaped our present. And, and we're sitting with that a little bit. Um, and so, so often we don't necessarily look back into our past for various reasons. We'll get to that. But uh, I remember this um, quite vividly in the first couple of years of our marriage. Um, we got married pretty young. I was 24. I thought I was 20. Look back now, I think, wow, we were kids. But, you know, uh, that's because I'm an old man now. <laughs> But um, our first couple of years, generally we had a great relationship, but always the tension and conflict was around communication. And we would just clash. So whenever we had, uh, I heard it was, I think it was in Bert's message, not fights, lively discussions. We had lively discussions around, we just missed each other on communication. And we began to realize how vastly different our backgrounds were in terms of our upbringing, in terms of how we had seen communication in our homes, how we'd seen affection or sharing of emotions or lack of in our homes. And so the kids, we would probably say, uh, come from an undersharing uh, family background, and the Chapmans probably would say an oversharing. And so we came into marriage with that as expect- expectation. And you can see very clearly where our conflict would lie. And so when we began to sit down and talk a little bit about our pasts, what was it like growing up? How was, you know, um, emotion and sadness or love displayed in your home? We were able to then take the good aspects from our upbringing and say, but these are things that I don't want to bring into this marriage. And we get to recreate our own family culture for our kids one day. And um, the the humbling thing is uh, we think we're excellent parents. We're knocking out the park, but I know we're going to hurt our kids. We're going to fail them at some point. It's not our intention to, it's very rarely any parent's intention to, but this is the reality of all of our stories. There's a level of dysfunction in all of our stories. It doesn't matter how good a home you come from. But when Chantal and I were able to do that, it empowered us to change the narrative of our marriage and change the narrative of our story in terms of moving forward. And so your past has shaped your present, but, and here's where we're going to land today, it does not need to determine your future. We're not to be imprisoned by our past, but we have to do the work we have to go there in order to make 
sure we can understand why we react so sometimes today um, and a lot of times this comes from things that have happened in our past and so Jesus is going to invite you and I to deal with our past in order for us to move ahead um, as more fruitful and fuller human beings and as his followers and his disciples so so many things have shaped our past you know your family of origin how you were brought up your culture the socioeconomic circumstances you found yourself in um, highlights, good things, trauma, um, all those have shaped who you and I are today. So maybe you come this far in the series, maybe you're still sitting there and maybe you still have a bit of um, reticence, reluctance uh, about all this. So maybe three objections I can maybe address very briefly before we dive into the bulk of today's message. And the first objection is our categorizes irrelevance. The past is the past. Let's move ahead. And we might even throw some scripture in there because, you know, I can do all things through scripture taken out of context. God's doing a new thing. Forget the former things. You might have had that thrown at you. You might have had well-meaning people say you're a new creation in Christ. Forget all that stuff. Press ahead. And although that's well-meaning, it's neither scriptural nor very helpful at all. And so uh, forget the past is a very naive way of looking at that. Yes, if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've placed your faith and trust, there is very significant change that's happened in your life. But it doesn't erase the past like that. It's not a magic wand that erases that past. It's a journey of now allowing that change to begin to reshape you. And so, so often people in the irrelevant camp, they don't make the connection between their current problems or pain with potentially past problems. Um, with their past. And so if you're sitting there relevant, Kim, I would, I would, I would strongly encourage you and urge you to be open-minded to perhaps Jesus wanting to undo some things in your past in order that you can then move ahead into the new that he has for you. The second camp is, and probably the camp that I'm, I've come in from is the innocence camp. You say, well, if I think back in my past, a lot of my past was happy memories. I, I grew up in a good home. I have a lot of good upbringing. Um, and so that's, praise God, praise God if you're in that camp, praise God if you're, you didn't have to deal with a lot of trauma that maybe some other uh, families or upbringings uh, have. Um, and, and it's not to, and, and here's the thing with the innocence camp is it doesn't matter how good an upbringing you and I had, there's always some level of dysfunction in our stories, in our past. And so this is, um, this series is not to, this, we're going to do this wrong if you're looking to lay blame with your parents. I think my parents are probably watching this message right now, hi, mom and dad. And so don't worry, mom and dad. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, that's not, that, we're doing it wrong if that's the exercise. Okay. Now I can pin the blame on my third grade school teacher and she really wrecked my life. No, no, no. What God's wanting us to do is to own our stories, whether it's stuff that was done to us, whether it was horrible stuff done to us, good stuff to, to own our stories in order that we feel empowered and have agency to break free from some of those bad narratives. So if you're in the innocence camp, firstly, praise God. Thank you. Thank God that maybe you were avoided some of those big T traumas that other people um, weren't so fortunate to avoid. But nonetheless, you're still going to have some dysfunction. You're going to still get need to get unstuck from some things in your past. And then the third camp, not irrelevant innocence, you're very mindful of your past. Your past is full of pain. And it's too much for you to go back. You're incredibly aware of your past and the dysfunction of your past. And so what I would say to you is take a deep breath. Um, this is a process. This is a journey. If you're not quite ready to jump into that, no one's forcing and pushing you off a cliff here. But just know if there comes a time when the pain of you staying in the present is now greater than the pain of facing your past, that's the time that you want to then begin to delve into and get unstuck 
because you're just going to be stuck if we don't deal well with some of those things. And there's incredible helpful resources, communities, therapists, people that can come around you, faith community, to help you in that you don't need to face your past alone. So perhaps some wisdom from the, the, the centuries before some people just to underscore the necessary and biblical underpinning of what we're talking about here of our stories. Let's go all the way back to AD 400 and St. Augustine from his confessions. He said this, how can you draw close to God when you're far from your own self? Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. And so there's an aspect of self-awareness, self-knowledge that is critical if we're going to grow in our awareness of God and grow deeper and fruitfulness in our our relationship with God. Uh, Let's jump ahead a few centuries to John Calvin in about A.D. 1530 in his Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says this, nearly all the wisdom which we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts the knowledge of God and of ourselves. So again, self-knowledge, self-awareness is a massive part of us being uh, followers of Jesus. And then to quote someone a little bit more recent, AD 2017, from his uh, book that we highly recommend, if you're very, particularly if you're very new to this language and what we've been talking about, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro says it like this, Our true spirituality frees us to live joyfully in the present. It requires, however, going back in order to go forward. This takes us to the very heart of spirituality and discipleship in the family of God, breaking free from the destructive sinful patterns of our pasts to live the life of love God intends. So here we go. So the importance of looking back in order to move ahead uh, has been underscored by these great thinkers, these great leaders throughout the centuries. And let's turn now to Scripture. And uh, I'm going to, at the risk of taking a Scripture maybe way out of its context, I don't think so, but I want to put this before us because I think we've been talking about a metaphor, seeing your life as a story. And we're going to get there. And I want to use another metaphor that the Scripture speaks about, how it ties beautifully in what we've been talking about, life as a story, that we see our story, own our story, and rewrite our story. And it comes from Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 3, and it's after a chapter of listing all these great men and women of faith who had their own dysfunction. Abraham's in there. We talked about the dysfunction of his family and his sons and that kind of thing, but nonetheless, um, and it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So it's painting the picture of life as a race. Now, every metaphor has its limitations. There's some very helpful things about thinking about life as a race, which we're going to look at. And there's some very harmful things. Life as a race doesn't mean that you, it's a dog-eat-dog, the fittest will survive. It's not looking at that aspect. What it is, is it's saying this. Our faith life journey, our journey of faith, is described as like a long-distance race. Don't be thinking of a 100-meter dash. Be thinking of a long-distance marathon, ultra-marathon, if you will. And there's at least three critical aspects to running that race, to running our journeys well. Number one is laying aside. It talked about laying aside. It talked about endurance, number two. And it talked about looking ahead, considering Jesus. Laying aside, looking ahead, and having endurance. Why? Because we grow 
weary. We get faint-hearted. And so when we're talking about laying aside, it's talking about some of the things we've been talking about. The, the obvious sins are there, but there's also the less obvious things. The baggage of our past can be a hindrance, can slow us down in the race of life. And so laying aside means that we're going to need to have a level of self-awareness and self-knowledge of the things that we need to lay aside. The things that are going to hinder us from moving ahead in life. That we're to have endurance as we go through this process and journey. It's not a one and done as being said before. This is a process, a lifelong process of getting unstuck and undoing things in our lives in order that we move ahead. And as we move ahead, we look to Jesus. We consider Jesus. We bring him into our stories because he's the one that wants to rewrite our stories. And so if you think of that metaphor now, let's take it into the metaphor that's been used throughout this series, that life as a story. Life as a story. Every person has a story made up of both things that actually happen to you and then our interpretations of that. And it's those stories that we tell us, particularly in our formative years, that sometimes become internalized, broken stories in order for us to deal with getting through those apps. patches of our lives, and that they get reinforced in our lives. Uh, They tell a story about who we are, and it tells a story about our world. And some of that story could be true, but some of that story could also not be true. And some of that story is what we need to break free from if we're going to be able to live the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live. And so throughout the series, we've been looking at that and been encouraged and challenged to lay aside those aspects of our story that hinder us. Now, when I say lay aside, that doesn't mean we deny or diminish. Hey, just press ahead, forget what's past. That's not what laying aside looks like. Laying aside means we need to go in and make sure. So in that that story of running a race, it was in a Greco-Roman culture. And laying aside, literally, if you were competing in the Olympics, if you were competing in a race, you would get naked. You literally would get naked. You would lay aside everything that would hinder you. And so that is a picture, for sure is a picture, but that is a picture of what we're trying to do. We need to get naked in our lives. We need to get vulnerable in our lives. God wants us to leave no stone unturned in our lives, things that are going to hinder us. And so he will go to places that perhaps we don't want to go to, not to embarrass us, but in order for us to be able to run the race, to be able to live our lives without the hindrance that sin and these weights so easily entangle us with. And so to lay aside, and this is the ground that's been covered well in the the first two messages, which I'm not going to go back, but firstly, to see your story. Knowing where you're from helps you understand the present. Knowing where you're from, knowing the the things that shaped you as you were being brought up. Um, Sheila covered that a lot in seeing your story. Then last week we looked at not just seeing our stories, but owning our stories and having a level of owning that story and its its beauty and its ugliness and its brokenness and all aspects of it, exploring both the shadow side of our stories as well as the strengths of our stories. And again, it's not an exercise of blame shifting. We're not looking for people to point out and say, oh, you're the one that messed up my childhood. You're the one. Because when we put blame on another, we, we still, we stay stuck. We stay stuck. And so, um, so the shadow side of our stories is what we need to own. And then today we get to rewrite our stories. The gospel changes our stories and gives us the agency to rewrite a different narrative that aligns more truthfully with God and how he sees us and how he wants us to see his world. And so maybe if I could pause here and interject is this is a, this is new to me. So if you're sitting there like this is sounds very new, um, we're in good company. Um, 
I know Bert and Sheila have done a lot more work in this area than I have. And I've really appreciated just seeing how it's really helped them and been encouraged by their story. And as I've begun to be challenged, even in this series and in previous series that we've done, um, it's been really helpful for me to come to get to grips a little bit with just me and some of the narratives that, that I tell myself. Uh, and the, one of the things I was thinking about is um, how one of the strengths of my story is also the shadow of my stories. So one of the strengths, um, and it's kind of awkward because I'm going to have to talk about myself in a good way, but then don't worry. Um, but one of my strengths, and this has been validated by people, is I'm likable, I'm relatable, I'm, you know, in many ways I'm a harmonizer. I, I'm able to come into a room and connect with people, have empathy with people, uh, see, you know, as best as I can, kind of build a relationship with them, even though they might have very different backgrounds and experiences to me. And so that's been something throughout my childhood, my formative years, into university and into even being a pastor, that's uh, something that, a way that God, I think, has uh, wired me and used it for good. The shadow side of that is I, if I had to put a phrase or a title maybe on the the bad part of my story or the broken part of my story is it would be this. I am who others think I am. I am what others think of me. And so sometimes the shadow side of that is it's too much of trying to uh, be a chameleon that I, I, I lose a sense of my true self or I hide my true self because I want, don't want to risk losing or having this person think less or different of me. Um, where this pops up, uh, it pops up in different places, but even just recently, I saw when we had our latest uh, lockdown release again, um, I started playing hockey and I play hockey with a, a typical bunch of men that are older than me and getting around them, they're established in their careers and that kind of thing. And I always know when it, I feel the anxiety of what's going to happen when they find out I'm a pastor or a Christian. I don't know if you've ever related that in your workplace or you meet some new people and maybe it comes around like, gosh, please don't ask me what I do. John. Now, let me tell you, this is not because I'm embarrassed uh, to be a Christian. Um, in fact, I think it's one of the best things I'm proudest about in my life. I really believe following Jesus is the best thing you could do with your life. I believe that uh, Christianity is the best way to view life. Um, it's coherent. It's beautiful. So I don't have issues with that or being embarrassed. But um, not everyone thinks that of Christianity or pastoring, and so I can't control that. In fact, they might have very different views of what a Christian is or what pastoring is. Sometimes when I do say, hey, I'm a pastor, I'm like, oh, I see this kind of pity come on people's face, or like, why would you do that with your life? Or like, shame, like, do you need some money, or like, what is it is. And it's the loss of control, I think, for me, is what brings about the lack of safety, security. I can't control that. And so in order to control that, I try to maybe sometimes avoid that and try to connect them in different ways. And so I'm learning and how God's helping with this. I think in three ways he's helping me with this. Number one, Richard, people don't think of you nearly as much as you think they do. And that's freeing just to know that. People have their own stuff. Everyone's got a story that they're battling with. And so my story is not front and center. There's, they're, they're really not thinking of me nearly as much as I think. And, and that's a little bit freeing, to be totally honest. That's freeing. Number two, God's like, hey, remember me. What I think of you should matter in your life too. And how do I think of you? And let, let me describe all the ways. And I get into a scripture and I'm reminded of what God says about me. And that, and that gives me a sense of security and a sense of safety. But even if people reject me, it's okay. It's okay, because the one who matters most hasn't rejected me. And number three is to look at Jesus and to say, hey, when here's the classiest guy in the world, 
and people despised him, loved him. He was popular. He was hated. He was tormented, ridiculed. And he managed to not let that implode his life. He managed to somehow live through that. And so I look to Jesus and I find strength in his model in my story. And so I'm a work in progress. And how about you? How about you as you dive into these aspects of where your story is broken, but how God wants to use that brokenness to bring about uh, a beauty. And isn't that the nature of God is to take even the, the brokenness, shameful, sinful parts of our lives and to somehow turn it around uh, to rewrite a story of grace in our lives. Okay, so let's look a little bit now practically what it means to rewrite our stories. And we get to rewrite our stories as we look ahead. Remember that scripture, lay aside, but now look ahead and consider Jesus and bring him now into our broken stories. So how exactly does God change us? Well, there's two things that I want to focus in on today. Obviously, there's many other ways that God is, but number one, I'm going to call it coming home. And the first thing you need to do is to remember that it's really finding our story begins as we find our story within God's story. That we're not so narcissistic and it's all about us and my story. That your story is important, but your story is in a much bigger story. And you can't live your true self in a false narrative. And so you need to get within the true narrative of how what what's happening in the world. And, and Bert covered this last week in, in some good detail in the story of God and the four chapters that Scripture talks about how God created things good. There's a fall. There's a brokenness that's come into our world. God's all about re- redeeming and restoring that. But it starts, our rewriting starts as we enter into that story that God wants to bring us into. And entering into that story doesn't mean we lose our stories. In fact, it enhances our stories. But it does need to begin there. We need to find our story, firstly, as we come into God's story. And so we relocate our story in the good news story of God and the good news of what Jesus is doing and that Jesus is writing a better story of redemption and restoration cosmically, socially, and personally. That's the good news of Jesus. That for all, as far as the extent of the fall and sin has gone, he's reversing and rewriting that on a grand cosmic scale, on a grand social scale, and yes, even in your personal and my personal life. At John 1, chapter 12, chapter th- John, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Maybe you came from a bad family of origin, maybe not, but God gives us all a fresh start, gives us the right to be called by a different family, to be redefined by a different father, if you will. And and this is part of the story of God that God's inviting you and I into. Uh, The Dutch Catholic priest who's actually buried in Richmond Hill here in in Toronto, um, Henry, Henry Nouwen, he said this, he says, we are not what we do. We are not what we have. We are not what others think of us. Coming home is claiming the truth. I am the beloved child of a loving creator. Coming home is claiming the truth. The truth about what's real in the world. The truth about what's right and wrong. The truth about what's good and bad. What's helpful and harmful. But the truth about you. And uh, it's only good news. Uh, God thinks the world of you. And I, I know that sounds bumper stickery, but he really did. He gave his best so that our stories could be rewritten. And we do a disservice when we choose to continue to believe an anti-truth story about ourselves. And so 
Um, and so I would encourage you, come home. Come home is claiming the truth, the truth about you. And so locating our story within this, within God's story then brings an alignment. So we're not, we're not clashing. It brings us into an alignment of this good news of what Jesus is up to, of redeeming and restoring. And then that gospel gives us not just hope, but it gives us agency. It actually empowers us to really change our lives, to read our stories. All right, so coming home, great. But then there's work to do, the work. And there's God's work and there's our work. God works in us and we work out. All right, so you're going to have to work out. So Philippians 2, 12, 13 puts it beautifully like this. It says, therefore, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Rewriting your story is a partnership. There are things God only does and there are things that we can do. And it's coming together. We can't just say it's all on God and it's not all on you. Thank God for that. Right? But there is a partnership. It's a coming together. And what God does best is he works in us. He does something in us. And how does he work in us? In a variety of ways. His means of truth and grace come to us through scripture, through online church services like this, uh, through community. And that community could be a small group. It could be a church family. It could be friends. It could be a therapist. God can use so many different ways for his grace and his truth to penetrate us. And so he works in us. He is the source of the transformation. We can't change ourselves per se, but he's the source of that transformation. But then our work is to offer ourselves, is to create the conditions in which God can do his transforming work in us, to yield to his work. If there's been a prodding through the series, don't resist that. Maybe this is the time that God wants you to face some of those things. You know, I loved what Mercedes was, as she began to look back, she began to see things that's now going to enable her to move ahead differently. And so one day, if she has a family, she's going to have different language to be able to cultivate more healthy emotional mental health in her home. And that's how we break those generational things. And so and so that's what the work, that's the work that God invites us to do in partnership with Him. And so here's an exercise as we wrap this up, a very practical exercise. Again, if you're in a small group, you're going to be doing this this week. If you're not in a small group, I really still encourage you to download the discussion guide and use it this week, some of these exercises. But catch yourself in real time. So when I go to the hockey and I feel that anxiety rising up, or whatever it is for you, when you begin to notice the moments of your you're tapping into a broken story or a familiar story that's not helpful to you. Here's what maybe could help you do is write this out. It said, my broken story told me, fill in the blank, but God and the gospel now tell me. So I could say this, my broken story told me I am what others think of me, but God and the gospel now tell me that God thinks the world of me and that frees me to be me and that people aren't thinking about me nearly as much as I think. And it's okay. It's okay to feel rejection sometimes. It's okay to, to be a truer sense of me. And so what is that for you? And here's a follow-up question. As you begin to think redemptively about your story, where you've come from, where you are now, and where you want to go, moving forward, what do you want to stop? What do you want to start? And what do you want to continue? And that's, a, I think, a beautiful way of looking at our past. It's not all bad. It's not all good. And we have to sift through that and say, hey, here are some great things. It's what Chantal and I did. This was really good about my upbringing. I really thank my parents for this. This was really good about my childhood. This was really good about my culture. But this wasn't so great. 
And so I want to stop these things. I want to start some new things. And I'd like to continue that through my life. And so how about for you? And that can be really empowering. If you have just one or two things come to mind, start there. If you have a whole list of things, start there as well. And so as we close out this series, um, we stop the series, but hopefully this work continues on throughout the year, throughout our lives. You know, I heard, I, I can't remember if it was a podcast and um, I can't remember who said it, so forgive me, it wasn't me, so I'm not plagiarizing. But they said, um, a healthy church community should take you to places you wouldn't go yourself. And it really hit me about... Um, how poor sometimes the Christian church, not all churches, but generally how poor sometimes the Christian church has dealt with the mental and emotional health and these kind of things. And I'm really proud of our church that a few years ago we decided we're not going to be one of those churches, that we're going to be a church that's not afraid to confront hard issues, gray areas, if you will. And um, and so I encourage you that hopefully you find that this church is a safe place that we genuinely want to all want to be more true, authentic people, um, the kind of people that God had in mind for us. And so it may be hard, but um, what a great culture to be part of, a church community that will take you places you wouldn't have gone yourself. And so as we leave this series, remember your present story has been shaped profoundly by your past, but it does not need to determine your future. Jesus is in the business of rewriting stories. He is in the business of rewriting stories of his grace, stories of his truth, stories of his beauty and his goodness. And that's the story he's writing cosmically. And that's the story he wants to write in your and my life. Will we yield our lives to that and allow him to do what he does best? Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.